So now I'm at 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 1 through to 15. Let's read with me. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balaar in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahu, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Io was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, uh, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. When David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah and to this day, this place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those were carrying the ark of the Lord had, had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all, the Isra all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. In 1965, the Rolling Stones released a song called I'm Free. And it became a number one hit. I'm free to do what I want any old time. And I guess it was a theme that, 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 that touched on that generation, the generation of the 60s, this, this idea that, that freedom was there, freedom was ours, and freedom was for us to pursue. It became a goal, and not just for those that were alive in the 60s, but for every generation since, in the decades since. There's this idea that sits in our culture that really emphasises freedom and says that it's something to be obtained. But I wonder, in our society today, are we really free? Are we as free as we think? Well, 37% of Australian households today say that they have a level of household debt which gives them stress. Perhaps we're not as free as we think. 83% of those who work full-time admit to checking emails regularly outside of work hours. Perhaps we're not as free as we think. We're now in our fifth uh, round of lockdown and restrictions. In fact, it's been five out of the last 12 months that we've been in lockdown. Uh, are we really as free as we think? The passage that we're in today, which has been read out just before by Julia, actually points to a freedom, a freedom that is obtainable. It's a true freedom, 
a biblical freedom, a freedom not like what the world around us would say freedom is, but something far greater. Let's get into it. The first thing that I want to talk about today is that God is formidable. God is formidable. So as we try and look at what this freedom, we've got to come to this point and recognize that God is formidable. And what I want to do is just reflect a bit on some of the background to what's happening in this passage, which Julia has read out. Now, we see in this passage that we've got a character called Uzzah. Now, Uzzah uh, pays a dear price, actually, for what is a seemingly innocuous offense. Uh, David is moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Uzzah is one of the attendants there. Uh, The oxen stumble. Um, The the Ark is on a cart. And as a result, it starts to slip. Uzzah reaches out. He touches. He grabs hold of the Ark. God's anger burns against him. And he's struck down and he dies. A harsh punishment, surely. But it's good for us to actually understand what's going on here. So a few hundred years before, God had given Moses some specific instructions. God had said to Moses, I'm going to form a nation. It's going to be the Israelite nation. And my presence is going to dwell with them. And the way my my presence will dwell is that it will be in the Ark of the Covenant. And he gave some instructions around how it was to be built, but also how it was to be carried, how his presence was to go with them wherever the Israelites were to go. And part of these instructions was that the bottom of the ark, which is roughly something the size of a household coffee table, not particularly big, but at the bottom of the ark at each corner, there were these four ringlets. And you can see a picture of it on the screen now. And through each of these ringlets, there were two poles and the poles were to be put through the ringlets on either side. And therefore, on each end of each pole, there were to be people that would carry the ark. And these people were specific people. They were the Levites. They were people that were given the responsibility to manage the affairs of the Israelite nation. Now, now fast forward to David's time and the ark has been in um, foreign oppressors' hands for many years. And and David is a new king and he's won many battles. He's unified the kingdom and the ark is now back in their possession. And David decides that the ark must come to Jerusalem. The center point of Israelite religious life needs to become to the central point of the Israelite nation. And so David is in haste here. He wants to move ahead. He's, he's, he's actually saying, no, I'm not going to follow God's specific instructions around how the ark was to be carried. I want it to be here quickly. And I think what's happening here for David is that he's actually, there's a bit of hubris creeping in, actually. He's getting ahead of himself. He's certainly getting ahead of God's timing. He wants the ark back in Jerusalem as quickly as it can get because he wants to have a celebration. He wants to have a party. And and it's become a little bit about him and him looking good in front of all his people. And so David's in haste here. Now, God had given some very specific instructions around how the ark was to be moved. It had to be carried by Levites. Every six steps, there needed to be a sacrifice. It needed to be done slowly, methodically. It needed to be done as an act of worship. But David's in haste and so he instructs the the attendants, including Uzzah, that they needed to put the ark on a cart, attach it to some oxen and get it moving forward, get it quickly. And of course, we read the story and we know what happens. The ark got to the threshing floor. They stumbled and on the stumble, the 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 ark started to slip on the cart. Uzzah reached out. He touched it to steady it and God's anger burned and Uzzah was struck down and died. It is a difficult passage, this, because the punishment even to our ears seems really harsh. But I think what we get here, the picture we get is just how 
much God can have no part with sin and disobedience. And so when God has given some very specific instructions as to how he wants his affairs to be managed, how he wants the presence that he is with his people to be managed, and when that is disobeyed, there needs to be a punishment. In Romans chapter 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. Now, now this is a death that all of us face, actually, because all of us are fallible. All of us have weakness and brokenness. All of us have the propensity to move ahead of God's timing, to move outside of God's will and his plan for us. And it's really clear the wages of sin is death. And really, Uzzah's death points us forward to another death, the, the death of Jesus on the cross. That passage in Romans that Paul gives us, Romans 6.23, says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's through relationship with Jesus that we see we are no longer bound by that penalty. In fact, Jesus, when he went to the cross, when he defeated death, when he rose again, he paid the price for us. His death has enabled us to have life, even though, like Uzzah, we are not perfect and we have this propensity to disobey. So God is a formidable God, and and I think it is good for us to sit with this tension a bit around this passage, because often we focus very much on the fact that God is really holy, that God is, is sorry, that God is is full of grace, that God is full of love, and all of that sort of stuff. We we focus on those aspects of God, the grace and the love, the things that I guess make us feel good, and they're all true and they're right, and we should focus on them, but we also need to remember that God is a holy God. He can have no place with disobedience and sin. C.S. Lewis is really helpful, I think, in this space when he writes in The the Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, one of his most famous books, and he's writing about the godlike character Aslan. And the metaphor or the picture that he gives to this godlike character is that of a lion. And I think it's really good, and I think it's helpful in this passage to reflect on God being like a lion, powerful, majestic, king but also dangerous and following god following jesus is not actually following him into comfort and security necessarily in fact more often it'll be following him into places of danger today we've already heard the very sad news about munkai who lost his life to covid one of our partners in myanmar tragic circumstances and we're incredibly sad by it but one of the things that Mung Kai has left us is the fact that he was prepared to follow God no matter what at times he would risk his life in really difficult situations in order for God's gospel to go out and to be proclaimed amongst the Burmese people see Mung Kai had got hold of the fact that God is actually a formidable God It's not about our security. It's not about our comfort. It's actually about following God wherever he may lead, even if those places are at times somewhat dangerous. So God is a formidable God. But the other thing we pick out of this passage is that David is faithful. David is faithful. And I suppose this passage, it's a bit of a microcosm, really, of the whole story of David's life. We, we see his flaws because he's moving forward in haste. He's moving forward ahead and outside of God's timing. But we also see his faithfulness. 
And so after Uzzah has died, David's in grief and his anger's burning against God and he's being really angry at God. And you know what? I think it's actually okay for at times to express our disappointment, our frustration and our hurt and even anger towards God. In fact, David does this often and we read about it often in the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms and roughly half of them are what we call laments. Now, laments are passages of scripture where the psalmists are crying out to God. They're expressing their anger and their hurt and their disappointment and their pain. But what's really inspiring about these laments as we read them is that they will either start with or end with or sometimes in the middle or sometimes all three passages of trust and confidence in God. Passages that say, no matter what, God, that's coming at me, no matter how much I'm in pain, no matter how much I'm hurting, no matter how angry I might feel about this situation right now, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my belief in you and my confidence in you. And this is what David does here in this passage. He recognises that he's moved ahead of God. He's moved outside of God's timing. And so he goes back. He gets the ark once again, but he does it right this time. And the attendants are instructed to take six steps forward and at every six steps they sacrifice a bull and a calf. They do this as an act of worship. David is now demonstrating his faithfulness in front of all of God's people to his God. They get the ark back to Jerusalem. And David is wearing a linen ephod. It's the priestly garments and he's effectively half naked. This is not the dress of a king. And yet he's wearing this and he's humbling himself before God. He's dancing before God. Now, I've got to admit that I don't like dancing at all. I'm the person who, along with Kate, chose to have a lunchtime wedding in order to get out of having to dance. I remember once when I was a youth pastor and we had a formal dinner and after the formal dinner we had a dance and I thought, well, we've got to have to get these guys up and dancing because, you know, we, 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 it's good. We want to have fun and ruddy, ruddy, rah. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll lead the way. And so I got up and I started dancing and then I was looking around me and I was seeing all these other guys pulling out these dancing moves and I thought, gee, they're very, very ordinary dancers, these blokes and girls, until I realised they're actually copying my dance moves. I'm a terrible dancer. And one of the reasons I hate dancing is because I have no rhythm. It just looks awful. And for me, it's something that's completely undignified. Uh, Give me a ball to throw, give me a ball to catch or any of that, I'm fine. But dancing, requiring my body to move in rhythm to music, absolutely not. Can't do it to save myself. And whenever I have to do it, it's so undignified. And here we have David dancing before God. David's a king, but in his dancing, we're told that he danced with all his might, not with great skill, just that he danced with all his might. And his dance here is an undignified dance before God. Here is a king acknowledging that God is his one true king. David demonstrates his faithfulness. So what happens? Let's get back to this idea of freedom. How do we find true freedom? Well, it's when we come to terms with a formidable God. When we place a formidable God next to an individual's faithfulness, that's where true freedom comes. 
My mind goes to John chapter 15, a really famous passage about the vine and the branches. And Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. You need to remain in me just as a branch needs to be attached to its vine to bear good fruit. And he goes on to say in verse 11, he talks about obey my commands. See, true freedom is found in not what we can get, it's found in what we can give. True freedom is found in not trying to meet the needs of self. True freedom is found through selflessness. True freedom is found not when we make up our own minds about things. True freedom is found when we obey God's mind about things. It's perhaps one of the greatest of spiritual paradoxes. The more we give, the more we get. The more we obey, the more free we are. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this passage. And I thank you for the wisdom and truth in it. And I thank you that in you, we can actually find true freedom. Not a freedom that the world talks about, Lord, but a freedom that's found in you. It's unique, it's a paradox, and it's amazing. And Lord, even though we're in lockdown this week, and even though we cannot move any more than five kilometres away from our home, at least those who live in Victoria, we want to say we're free today. We're free in you. We are free because what you've done for us. Lead us on, we pray, Lord. Lead us on in the days ahead. Lead us on in the freedom that we have in you. Help us to be witnesses of that freedom to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.